can be seated today. I, I am uh, I'm honored to be here. I don't know what to say at the beginning and how to, how to begin. I look through here and I see so many people that I, that I know. I was telling Pastor, I, I don't, I'll call him Travis. Uh, I was telling Travis just a few moments ago. It seems like just yesterday, it was a Sunday morning and me and a, an old guy named J.B. Kitts. J.B.'s older than me, so I'll call him an old guy. We're standing uh, in this altar area where Pastor Ronnie Brock, who just went home to be with the Lord not long ago, called us out and spoke to us what God had already spoken to our hearts and confirmed the call to ministry. And I'm standing over, over in this area when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I could take you through this church and show you many places where the Lord spoke, Lord spoke to my heart. I still remember those children's services when I was a little boy. I still remember Jack Bentley and Tommy and Joyce and all of those. I don't mean to leave anybody out, but some of those early formative years still guide me today. This place has been an anvil on which God shaped me, and I, I am forever grateful. Pastor asked me this morning, he said, when, how long has it been since you preached a Sunday morning service here? He said, I, I don't think I've ever preached on Sunday morning here. So Sunday night, and, uh, but, but this place, I remember as a little boy, I'll try not reminisce too much, but sitting on the pew that my mom is sitting on today, as a little boy being in the floor, and I don't even remember who was in the pulpit preaching, but you know, you've always had tremendous pastors and always had tremendous leaders and preachers of the gospel. I remember the Lord touching me. I didn't know it then, and I sat up on the pew, and I remember the Lord said, that'll be you. And so the Lord has been good to us. He's been gracious to us. I'm so delighted today to have my family with me, Holly and, and Maddie and Micah, and then to be here today with my, my friend Travis and his wife Kelly and Jensen and JC uh, is just a delight. I've been nervous because I'm away from home. I don't, I don't ever leave home. And I've been so nervous today because I want to share a word from the Lord with you, but I also want to honor your pastor today. And I want to tell you that, uh, that when I, I heard he was coming here, I was so delighted for you. And, and you can't know all that you will know because it takes time to know that. Does that make sense? You can't know today what you will know if you give it time. You are under the leadership of what I would consider to be one of the greatest leadership couples our movement has. I mean that sincerely. Now, there's a reason for saying that beyond just giving him an accolade. It's the design of the Lord. Pastors are called of God, commissioned of God, and put in a group of people to lead and to nurture and to minister to. It's not just, it's not just a man thing. It's a God thing. And I want you to know that you're in very capable hands. He and Kelly, again, I think are just remarkable leaders. And, and here's what I would say to you before we get into the text and we preach today. And by the way, he told me you begin now at 10.30, so I have an extra 15 minutes. I'm glad. You know, in a world of composite things where it's kind of hard to, to tell really if something is real or veneer. Sometimes it's hard to see something genuine because you just kind of get 
passed off the veneer all the time. I'll tell you today, you have a genuine, genuine couple with Travis and Kelly Gore. A man of prayer, a man of the word, an incredible preacher of the gospel. A man of vision. And you know the thing about vision is it takes courage. I'm I'm often reminded of a a quote by Leo Tolstoy. Tolstoy says, everyone talks of changing the world and no one talks of changing himself. You have a man who leads you and a wife that leads you that is compassionate and gifted and talented but is willing to change and let the Lord lead him and guide him. And I think you're blessed. I do. And I hope you know that. And I know it's just been a few months and pastoral transitions are hard. And if you think it's hard on a church, I'll talk to you at lunch and tell you how hard it is on a pastor. It's tough. And I'm so thankful they're here and so grateful that they're here today. And I'm I'm glad we get to come today and be a part of this wonderful day for you. Now, let me get to something that I'm a little more comfortable with. Let's grab your Bible, would, would you? And let's go to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 43. Isaiah chapter 43, I really believe that I have a a word for you today from the Lord for you as not just a church, but as an individual. I want you to hear it individually. I want you to hear it corporately together today. A couple of passages of scripture in Isaiah chapter 43, beginning in verse 18. Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 18, where the Lord says through the prophet Isaiah, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Let's pray. Father, I ask you today as we gather together around your word that you'd let the Holy Spirit be our teacher and our guide. Minister to us today, Lord, through your word. May the Holy Spirit settle this deep inside of our hearts and in our lives. We ask you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you today about letting God do a new thing. Alfred Lord Tennyson was asked late in his life, at this point in your life, what is it you need the most? Tennyson's response was, what I need the most is a new vision of God. I need a new vision of God, he said, and What he meant by that was I need a fresh vision. And I think sometimes we could use a a fresh vision of God, a fresh vision of his love. That God loves us immensely and unconditionally and, and that God lavishes his love on us. In fact, the Bible tells us in the Old Testament prophets that while we slept last night, God sang over us. I think we could use a a new vision, a fresh vision of God's love. I think we could use a a new vision of his grace in these times that we live in, a new vision of of God's grace, that grace is the unmerited, the unearned favor of God. But it's more than that. Grace is more than favor that's unearned and unmerited. Grace is the power of God working on your behalf and my behalf and doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We need a new vision of the grace of God, a new vision of the, the power of God, that God is powerful as we live in a world where Nations talk about power and they saber rattle of who's more strong and who has more power and nuclear power and all sorts of other types of power, geopolitical power and all these different ideas of power when the Bible tells us that there is no power except the power of God. 
I think we could use a new vision of his sovereignty that, that God is on his throne, that history is his story, that he's writing it, that, that the world isn't coming unraveled, that things aren't spinning out of control, that nations are not just crumbling because it's something that happens in history, that everything is orchestrated and everything is happening by the design and the purpose and the will of God. I think we could use a new vision of the sovereignty of God in these days in which we live. I think we could use a new vision of the presence of God, that God is here, that God is with us this morning. In fact, God is here. There's, there was such an awareness during our worship of the, the um, ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he was in this room. I told your pastor that there's such a, a sweet spirit of the Lord in this room this morning. And we're aware that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere present, that God is all throughout creation. In fact, the Bible says that God fills all things in all places. There isn't anywhere there's aware that God isn't there. He's everywhere. And of course we understand the omnipresence of God, that he, was, that he is there, that he is among us, that he is somewhere throughout the world and he's working by his power and by his might. But every time the Bible talks about the presence of God amongst his people, it is identified as the manifest presence of God. And when God manifests himself among his people, it isn't that he's just there. When God manifests his presence among his people, it means he's working on their behalf. It means he's moving in them and by them and through them and for them. Maybe we could use a new vision of God. But I think we could also use a new vision from God. A new vision from God because life, have you noticed, life is hard on its best days. And sometimes life's a drag. Sometimes life's hard and terrible and it's not fun. We live in a fallen, broken, sin-filled world. In fact, Jesus told us in the gospel that we would be promised tribulation and struggle in this world, that we would have the squashing, squeezing pressure of life, but to not be afraid and to not succumb to fear because he had already overcome the world for us. Life gets stagnant. Our marriages get stale. Ministry can kind of just become comfortable and church can just kind of become something that we, that we think about from time to time maybe or not be fully committed to and our dreams get left behind and our, and our best years we feel like we've wasted and on and on the list could go that we need a new vision from God of what life could be, what ministry could be and what our family could be and what our marriage could be and what our children can become and what our days that God has given to us can prosper and bring to the kingdom of God. Listen to me this morning. It is never too late for God to do something new. Never too late for you to experience something new from God. It's never too late for you as a person. It's never too late for you as a, as a volunteer in the church and someone who serves. It's never too late for you as a congregation together. It's never too late as a pastor. It's never too late for anyone to receive something new from God. It's amazing to me when you read through the scriptures how many scriptures talk about God doing something new. David wrote about it in Psalm 40 verse 3 when he says, The Lord put a new song of praise in my mouth. A new song. Did you hear that? New. Not old. New. In Ezekiel chapter 11 verses 18 through 20. It was the prophet Ezekiel who delivered the word of the Lord to the people. And God said, I'm gonna, there's coming a day when I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. Not a, not a warmed over heart. Not a revamped spirit, a completely new spirit, a completely new heart. In Jeremiah 31, 30 through 32, 
It was the prophet Jeremiah through the word of the Lord where Jeremiah says to the people, God says to you, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And God even says, and it won't be like the covenant I made with your forefathers. Listen, if you want something new from God today, you're going to have to stop. And I'm going to have to stop expecting God to make it look like it did yesterday. God, listen to me carefully. God is not a duplicator. God is a creator. He's not interested in rewarming something. He's not interested in redoing something. He's not interested in performing something of the past. God has so much more to us than he is yet to reveal to this world. I think it's time for the church of the living God to say, God, show us something new. Show us something that only you can do, Lord, and let us experience you like never before. If you want God to do something new, don't expect it to look like yesterday. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 23. In fact, when you read the book of Lamentations, you get in touch with Jeremiah's feelings. You you got to kind of watch what days you read Lamentations because you'll fall into depression. Jeremiah's lamenting because no one listened to his sermons. How'd you like to have that job? No one listened to his sermons, and he sits and he watches As the Assyrians decimate the city and lay siege to it and destroy everything. And it's burning. They destroyed the whole city. And it's burning with fire and he puts pen to parchment and he writes the book of Lamentations. And he pours his heart out and he falls. You can sense the the depth of uh, of the depression that he's in and the struggle that he's in. As he writes and pours out his heart about people disobeying the word of the Lord and falling away from God and not listening to the word of God. And as he does that, he falls into this desperation of of all of the calamity and the struggle that's going on. And something happens to him in Lamentations 3 in the middle of that lament while he's beginning the process of lamenting. Something happens to him and in verse 21 he says, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. And in verse 23, he says that the Lord's mercies are brand new every single morning. He'll put a new song in your heart. He'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. He'll make a new covenant with you. He'll make his mercies brand new every single morning. And Paul even says in our salvation experience in Colossians 3 and 10, that when a man or a woman is born again, we don't have a warmed over heart. We don't have a warmed over soul. We're remade. We're made brand new. The old man dies. The old woman dies. And the new man and the new woman comes to life. Listen to me. And God reveals himself to us in Revelation 21 verse 5 when he says, I'm a God who makes all things new. Is there something in your life today that you wish God would do again? Is there something in your life today if you said, you know, I'd like to begin this prayer. Lord, get me out of this. Lord, change this. I want you to know something today. If you'll listen carefully today, You can hear the Lord from his throne in glory say, if you give it to me, I'll make it brand new. It won't look like it used to. It won't be anything like it used to be. It'll be brand spanking new. Hallelujah. Isn't that good news today? So you aren't old and your marriage isn't old and your business isn't old and your church isn't old and your ministry isn't old and your marriage and all of those things aren't old until regrets take the place of your dreams. God wants to do a new thing. I believe it with everything in me. Would you give the Lord praise this morning? Now, if we want to experience that, I think there's a few things that we need to that we need to see that he says here, first of all, if we want something new from God, 
the, the prophet is very clear. He says here, there's something you're going to need to do, and that is you're going to have to forget the former things. You're going to have to forget the past. Forget the former things, and notice what he says, and don't dwell. We do that well, don't we? I think sometimes we're remembering what we're supposed to forget and we're forgetting what we're supposed to remember. He says, forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. Now, what does that mean? I think there's a few things. I I think when he says forget the past, I think he means forget your first. I think he, he means your accomplishments. You know, if we're not careful, we'll turn our life into a museum. If we're not careful, our churches become museums and we talk about what was. I don't read anywhere in the Bible where it describes God as the great I was. The great I might be. The great I will be. No, he's the great I am. And if we're not careful, we turn our, our whole life into a museum and, and we just talk about what this is what we did and this is where we were and this is what it looked like and this is what it felt like. And this, all we do is we walk around and we turn our lives into a museum. So this morning, listen, I'm happy for you that you were the homecoming queen, but baby, that was 1983. You can put the tiara up. And I'm glad, I'm glad you were the high school quarterback. I'm glad you got the letter jacket. But you know, that's, that's 1996, just to help my kids out. You can put that thing away. And if we're not careful, we'll walk around and we'll talk about what was. And we'll talk about all of these things. And we'll turn our life into a museum. And we'll turn our church into a museum. And we'll just talk about the good old days as if God is somewhere stuck in the good old days. Now listen to me. God moved and God manifested, and I'm thankful I could walk you through. In fact, in Pastor Tony's office today, where his office is today, was the, was the place one evening while I was preparing, nobody was here, I was preparing for teen talent when I felt the hand of the Lord on my life. Push me into the floor, not violently, but push me onto the floor and three times told me to preach his word. I remember that like it was yesterday. I know where I was called and confirmed. I know where I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember those. I'll tell you one more that I remember. I remember being a little boy on Wednesday nights when we would sit in here and Betty and Rudell Fraser would play the music and once they were finished Betty would get up from the organ and make her way up this aisle I would follow her and go to the nursery class I remember getting the stickers on the chart and I still have it in my library today it's the first Bible anybody ever bought me I've got a lot of emotions coming here this morning because this is a place that God used to shape my life but what tragedy it would be for me to just think about those things To just think about that and talk about that all the time. I've not rehearsed a lot of that in my heart and in my mind. And it's not because I'm not grateful and not thankful for it. But I know that if God did it then, God can do it now. And David is one of those who had this uncanny ability, unlike anybody else in Scripture, who could draw these logical lines of conclusion. If he was in a dilemma... He would say, well, I see where I am, but now I can draw a line back and remember that if he delivered me from the paw of the bear and from the mouth of the lion, then he can deliver me here. 
He even said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed out begging for bread. What am I saying to you this morning? Don't let your life be a museum. Stop talking about what was and ask God this morning, do something new in my heart today. Burn in me today. Let this be a day where it's a pivotal moment, a shift that happens in your life. We got to get rid of the, we, we've got to settle the issues of the accomplishments because we can turn our life into a museum and we can become real proud of ourselves. Now, listen to me. I'm just like your pastor. I struggle. We did this, a few, we did this last month at our church and I struggle because people do the work and all of the glory goes to God. And if there are any accomplishments that happen, it's because the good hand of the Lord's been on us. I don't want to hold those accomplishments. I want to give them to him. Here's another thing you got to give up, and that's the agonies, the pain. And boy, life can, life can deal you some pain, can it? Things can happen. People can come and go in our lives. Tragic things. Unbelievable things. Unspeakable things. The children of Israel in this passage in Isaiah, we just read a, a snippet from it. But these children of Israel had sinned against the Lord. They've been carried off into captivity and they think we've sinned too much. We've gone too far. We've done all of this. I mean, I meet people almost on a weekly basis who have very little knowledge of the word of God, very little knowledge of the scriptures seems to be the people that we're reaching. And they think that they've messed up so many times on Tuesdays at eight that God's finally finished with them and and he's fed up with them and he's angry at them. And so now they're in trouble and they're in difficulty because they've made God mad at them. I've met people just recently who've said to me, God is angry at me and God's out to get me. Listen to me carefully today. If God wanted to get you, you'd already be gone. He'd open the ground, swallow you up, and everybody would be like, you know, I used to see that guy. Where's he at? I don't know. He's gone. God's not out to get you. God wants to love you and lavish his love on you. And this world can be filled with pain. This world can be filled with agony. A few years ago this month, my dad went home to be with the Lord. One of the hardest things I've ever experienced in my life. Remember the morning of his funeral, I stood up and I just wanted to sing. I just wanted to sing. And then I went through, I should have gone to counseling. I went through a series of months where where I I wouldn't talk, I wouldn't open up until I was lying in a fetal position in our living room floor, just spilling everything. I remember going to our board of elders and told them, I'm going to tell you one thing, and when I'm done, you can fire me, you can call the overseer, you can do whatever you want to do. And I said to them, the last six months, every sermon I preached to you, I got off the internet as late on Saturday as I could, and I came here, and I gave you everything I had, and it's only by the grace of God that people were saved and brought into the church. God had done incredible things. Those men got up, laid their hands on me, and prayed for me. Why do I tell you that? Because this world can be filled with some pain and some agony. But what does he say? Forget the former things. Forget the former things. Now, this is a personal story for me, but I, I, I've only been back to my father's grave one time since the day we, we, we put the headstone there. And it was a few months ago when, when, when William Dalton passed away, Lovelene, after that funeral, I went down to the graveyard by myself. I had a moment, and I got up, and I got in my vehicle, and as I was driving away, I said, Lord, thank you that there isn't anything there. There isn't any value there. There isn't anything there that keeps me here. 
I got to move on and one day we're going to be together again. You got to let go of the agonies. Why am I saying that to you? Because you've had some pain. We've all had pain. Life is filled with pain. Life isn't fair, but God is good. God promised us that in this world we might have some tribulation, but one day God's going to make all of that right. We've got to get rid of the accomplishments or set them aside. We've got to not dwell on the agonies. And here's another one for you. you you've got to set aside the anger. You've got to deal with the anger that goes on in life. And things happen and make you angry. And it's not a sin to be angry. That's an emotion. But you can sin in that anger. And you can miss God in that anger. And you can let people manipulate you because you're still angry about something they've moved on from. I've met people in my pastoral ministry over these 20 plus years. I've met people even in just recent weeks who are so angry and so mad. They've been angry. They've been mad for so long. They don't even remember what they're angry about. They're just angry. And anger leads to bitterness. You know, the Bible even says that anger can lead to murder. We let hatred build up in our heart and anger and people move on and things happen and people go other places or whatever it is that happens in your life and you can sit and you can soak and you can sour or you can say greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world and you can set that aside and say, Lord, do something new in me today because I don't want to miss what you're doing. You got to deal with the anger. There's an example of that in the scripture. I think probably the most powerful example of that would be the life of Joseph. Joseph sold as a young boy by his brothers into slavery. They took him down to the land of Egypt and Potiphar bought him and put him in his house and everything Joseph touched turned to gold. Falsely accused, thrown in prison and spent 12 years in prison. 12 years falsely accused. Everything he did in prison turned to gold. God blessed him every step of the way. The Potiphar's house was blessed. The prison was blessed. He comes out and through the providence of God is made second in command over all of Egypt. Kept them through the famine supplied them with all that they would need and even more than they needed. And who would have ever known that his brothers would finally make their way down because there was a famine in the land. And his brothers came down and in that moment, Joseph had the power. Joseph could have had them beheaded and no one would have even questioned him one iota. He could have had them done away with and put them in the grave, put them in a ditch and be done with it and and, and, and exacted revenge on them. He had, if anybody in the Bible had a right to sit, to soak and to sour in anger and in vengeance, it was this man, Joseph. But what kept him from that? We read, we read of his story when those boys come and, and they're gathered around him and he finally reveals himself to them. And we read, a, we quoted a lot where Joseph looks at them and says, what you meant for evil, God turned it and used it for my good. You thought you put me here, but God actually brought me here ahead of you. Now that sounds like a hallmark moment and if you're not careful you could be mistaken that it's just in the hype of the moment where there's a a family restoration and it's a feel good moment that Joseph just kind of comes out with that kind of thing. Oh no, there's an indication of this man's heart and so long before that. That is an indication that really helps us understand why the prison was blessed and why Potiphar's house was blessed. There was a decision made in his heart long before that. He wasn't a man to hold on to anger. He wasn't a man to want to exact revenge. How do you know that, preacher? I'll tell you why. Because before those boys ever came on the scene, his brothers ever came back, before there was ever a thought of anybody being reunited with the people that had caused him so much trouble, he had married a little Egyptian princess. And God had given him two boys. And the first one that came along, he named him Manasseh. And the second one that came along, he named him Ephraim. 
And so for years before his brothers showed up and he made that great statement, what you meant for evil, God turned it and used it for my good. Those names, the boys' names matter because every time Joseph would call Manasseh, he'd say, Manasseh, come see daddy. You know what that means? That name means God has caused me to forget the pain of my father's house. Do you hear that? He'd already made a determination. I'm not going to live in anger. I'm going to let go. And every time he called that little boy's name, he was reminding himself, of the goodness of God and the grace of God that could cause him to forget the pain that had been brought on him by his brothers. Oh, but that's not the end. He named the second one Ephraim because it wasn't enough to just know that God had helped him forget the pain of the past. Ephraim means God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Do you know what he's... He's not forgetting what happened. He's not isolating himself from the past events. He's not burying his head in the sand somewhere acting like nothing ever happened that bothered him oh no he said God has caused me to forget and God has also made me fruitful in the land of my suffering if you want God to do a new thing in your heart and in your life be willing to look to him today and say God all of the accomplishments they belong to you and God all of the agony all of the pain even if it's been brought into this life I give it back to you and every bit of anger God I'll let go of it so that my heart could be full and free and not be the enemy of anybody else A new thing. Not only if you expect God to do something new, do you have to do those things. You have to let God touch your heart and touch your life. Here's the second one. You not just need to forget the former things. You need to perceive that God really is at work. That God is at work. It is amazing to me how many times we think... Man limits God. I've heard people say, you know, you got to be careful now because you might tie the hands of God. Is there anybody among us today that is strong enough to ascend to the hill of the Lord and bind the hands of the Almighty? Are you kidding me? Do you remember when Pilate says to Jesus, what's the matter with you? Do you not know I have the power to either have you crucified or let you go? And it's the only time he opened his mouth. He said, that's where you're wrong. You would have no power except my Father give it to you. Your kingdom is the decaying of of, uh, a miserable remnants of decaying Caesars. My Father's power is the transcendent glory of the eternal God. You have no power over me. You've got to perceive God at work. Notice what he says to them in verse 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. See it. He says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Now, to perceive means that you become aware of something. You, not only do you become aware of it, you, you, you kind of know of it. You experience it. You identify it by, by means of senses. And I'll tell you what we need. We need a spiritual perspective in this material world. We need a spiritual perspective in a material world. What do you mean material? Well, we live by five senses. We can see it. We can taste it. We can touch it. We can smell it. We can hear it. We've got those five senses in our lives, and sometimes we think, well, if I can't feel it or see it or smell it or taste it or touch it, it must not be happening. There's one problem with that. There's one part of that that's wrong. The whole part. All of it. God doesn't work like you work. He doesn't work like I work. Thank God for that. I'm, I'm glad you're not God. You're probably glad I'm not. 
And sometimes we think if we can't experience it in our senses that God must not be up to something, even spiritual things. You can't see when God is working in somebody's heart. You can't see when God is moving in someone's heart and in someone's soul. And just because we're outwardly expressive doesn't mean God's really doing something. We might just be having ourselves a time. So we need to perceive. And if we're not careful in this world that is material, we just think, well, I, I, I got to see it. I got to smell it. I got to taste it. I got to touch it. I, I, I got to be able to hear it unless that it's not God. And then we, we live in this world where the atheist tells us there's no God at all. We live in this world where the evolutionist has decided that, that we're all just here by chance. And then the secularists tell us that there is no moral absolute. There's no moral foundations. We need a fresh perspective in this physical world and in, 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 in this material world and in a physical sense, your perspective is, in a physical sense, that you're, you're, not, you're, you're not even a single organism. Your, your eyeball this morning is interpreting the light in the room and telling your brain what you're looking at. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so your eye is interpreting light and telling you everything that's going on. And so in that, you, when you perceive, you can see it, you can take it in. But in a, in, in a different way... Not, not just a physical sense, in a mental sense, perspective is the way you view things. It's what you believe about what you see and what you believe will shape how you behave. So when you look at it, do you see God working or do you see man messing it up? When you look at your life, do you see God working or do you see man somehow deposing God from his throne? When you look at it, do you see God moving and promising? Or do you just look at it and, and think in these five senses that we have, if it can't work out so that I can understand it, it must not be God. It must not be the right thing. And I'll tell you today, you need to let go of that and give your heart and your faith to God and say, God, you move any way you want to move. Do anything you want to do. Move any way you want to move because I want what you want. In essence, it was God telling the children of Israel. He says, look, you've got to see this. You've got to have this perspective. It was God's, tell it, God's way of telling them, you need to change your perspective. Now, there's one good reason why your rearview mirror is incredibly smaller than your windshield. Because when you're driving forward, it's more important that you see where you're going than where you've been. You need a perspective in this world, this physical, material world that sees a spiritual perspective and turn your heart to God and say, God, you work out the details. I mean, everything that comes to our life, we've got a choice. Are we just going to kind of sit and soak and sour about it? Or are we going to say God's greater than all of this? And we're going to trust the Lord to bring the outcome. We need a spiritual perspective in a material world. This idea of changing our perspective, we need a triumphant perspective in a world of suffering. A triumphant perspective in a world of suffering. We suffer in this world. This world, this world is not, there, there isn't anything in this world that is promised to us that is good. Just the world. Now God is good. And aren't you thankful that in our suffering and in our losses and our tragedies that God works redemptively to move those? You see, I meet people a lot of times who think God's passive. That trouble comes because somehow God was on his throne and too busy taking care of Africa to see what was happening at my, my address. That's foolish. 
That's not, that's not at all. And then I meet people who say, well, it's not that God was passive. God was causative. I've messed up. I've done too much. So now God has brought the pain and the agony and the dilemma of my life. And that's not true either. God is neither causative or passive. God is redemptive. So in our worst nightmare, in our tragedy, in our darkest night, in our deepest storm, when we invite the presence of God in, God moves in to work redemptively and He can bring beauty out of ashes and He can bring, he can bring resurrection out of death and He can turn it around. Every step of my life and everything we walk through and walking families through tragedies and heartache and brokenness and even in our own family to walk through those things. Every step of the way I go, I cling to the passage of Scripture where Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand, but I've fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I've run the race. Here it is. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Isn't that interesting? A crown of righteousness. Now, doesn't righteousness mean that we are right with God? I know what it means in the spiritual sense, that, 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 we, that we are transformed, that we are forgiven, that we are right with God. But he, I think it means more than that. He says there's a crown of righteousness which the Lord, not an emissary, not an angel, the Lord Jesus Christ himself one day will put a crown on my head. And it's a crown of righteousness. Do you know what I think that crown is? I think it's a crown that when he puts it on my head, every sorrow, every heartache, every missed opportunity, every part of brokenness in this old world and in this old life, he's going to make it all right. We need a change of a perspective in this world in which we live. He says, you got to perceive God at work. You, you got to change your perspective, a spiritual perspective in a material world and a triumphant perspective in a world of suffering. Listen to me, no matter, and some of you, I know your stories. Some of you in here today, your pain and your agony has not just been a few months. It's been a lifetime. I remember some of those. And if I might just take a moment and say to you today, I promise you, based on the authority of God's word, one day, the Lord's going to make it all right. One day, by his sovereign love and grace and mercy, the past will be over and there will be no more crying and no more sorrow and no more saying goodbye. And the old things are going to pass away. And behold, all things are going to become brand new. You've got to change your perspective. Here's the final thing. You've got to see God at work. Perceive God at work. Listen, to perceive, I told you what that means, but, but then you've got to see him at work. Everybody's looking at history right now, and they're wondering what's going on. I get questions all the time. Do you think Iran's going to get a nuclear weapon? I don't know. I think the better question is, when do you think they'll launch one? I, I don't know. Do you? I mean, do, do, you, do you think Russia's going to take over Europe? Well, I, how much more is left to take? I, I don't know. Do you think they're Mog, you know, Gog and Magog? I have no idea. I, I don't know. Do you think the Antichrist is alive on planet Earth today? I have no idea. What is 666? I have no idea. 
And we get, we get consumed by that. And please, please, I'm not throwing stones here, but you know what? People ask me, you know, what do what these blood moons mean? I, I honestly, I, this may disappoint you, but I'm not your pastor. I'll leave today and go back and disappoint those other people up the road. Just don't tell them. I have, I have no idea. I have no idea what all that means. I have, I have absolutely no idea. It's beautiful. The pictures, because it was too cloudy here, so maybe God's judging all of us. I, I don't know. I mean, think about it. If judgment's coming and you can't see it, God must really be angry at you. You didn't think about that, did you? Uh-huh. You got to see God at work. Everybody's looking. What's going on in North Korea and earthquakes and, and floods and storms and that, that huge storm that was just abated the other day that, that demolished the, the coast of Mexico. Droughts and famine and pestilence, all of those things are going on. I am very clear that that is all part of the last day things that will be poured out on this earth. I, I do understand that. I do believe that we're at the, at the return of the Lord. I believe all of that. But people ask me all the time, what's going on? I have no idea what's going on. But you know, when you go, and it's become the, it's become the theme of songs and, and kind of cliche, and, and it almost sounds too cliche to say in a service like this and be serious about it, but you got to read the last chapter of the book. you got to read the back of it and understand that in the end, it all comes out to the will and the purpose and the plan of God. That in the end, none of it will be lost. That in the end, none of it will be insignificant. That in the end it all comes to a crescendo. And the way it comes to a crescendo is because God is orchestrating every bit of it. You need to read the last chapter and change your perspective. Listen to me this morning. If your only perspective is what's going on on Fox News or CNN or whatever your flavor is, and I've got them in our church too, whether you think the Republicans need to win or lose or the Democrats need to win or lose, or if you think that one side or the other is the Antichrist and the devil. I can't tell you all that. I have no idea. But there's more going on in this world than the story you're getting on TV. There's more going on in this world today. The Spirit of God is being poured out in this world and churches gather together on Sunday and it amazes me how many times we talk about how bad it is and how dark it is. Hello, it's supposed to get darker before the return of the Lord. This is the time for the church to be the greatest light in the history of this existence. We're living in the greatest time of the Lord He's ever given to us as the church. I don't know, Pastor, you know, all this same-sex marriage stuff. And listen, that's been around before. I meet people all the time. They don't really understand history when they say, you know, it's worse today than it's ever been. Oh, no, Nero had same-sex marriages. That's, that's well attested in history. All of that. The Romans would have little boys by their girlfriends so that they could enjoy those little boys for their pleasure. The Greeks did the same thing. None of this is new. Solomon was truthful when he said there's nothing new under the sun. None of this is new, but we got to get our head out of what's going on in the news and get our eyes back on the Word of God and get our ears on what God is doing in this world and proclaim hope to a lost and dying world. There is one thing, listen to me, there is one thing that will help change this world and it's not your Facebook posts. That just destroyed a few of you. Ushers, lock the doors, you can't get out. It really is insignificant what you tweet. Or what you put on Instagram. Your opinion, you have one. Everybody has an opinion. You even have a constitutional right to have that opinion and to speak it. But the truth is, the better understanding is that not all of us are entitled to it. 
Here's the deal. Your opinion won't change one thing. There's only one thing that will change this world, and that's the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to change our perspective, get our head out of what's going on in Fox News and CNN and all the world and Rush and, and Hannity and all that. That's fine, that's, but you got to get your head out of that and get it back in the Word of God and see what God is doing. You need to read the last chapter, you'll change your perspective. You'll move from fear and uncertainty to faith and hope because Jesus is coming again and the evil leaders and all these despots are on a short chain and they'll have their time in the sun they'll have their fun and they'll have their run at it and the devil's going to run rough shot over this world and the next thing that happens is the church is going to be called home in the rapture to be with the Lord and this world will go through fire and trial and devastation but there's coming a day when out of glory the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world will return to earth and will come back with him and will rule this world forever and ever and ever. You know, the Bible declares 316 times that Jesus will come again. He's going to return at the end of the age and he's going to make everything right. Revelation, in, Revelation, in, in Revelation 45 times, we're reminded that God is seated on his throne. He's not deposed. He's not worried. He's not up in the corner somehow trying to figure out what he's going to do in this world. 54 times... We're reminded in the book of Revelation alone that God is sovereign, that he rules absolutely. One guy said God it took God six days to make the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day he rested, and not one day did he ask me for my help. you gotta, you got to change your perspective and see God at work in the world. In Genesis, Satan becomes the God of this age, but in Revelation, Satan's cast into the lake of fire forever. In Genesis, man was separated from God because of his sin. But in Revelation, man is restored to God. In Genesis, sin did abound. But in Revelation, grace does much more abound. In Genesis, man was driven from the Garden of Eden and had no access to the tree of life. But in, in Revelation, there's a garden city and the trees line the streets of the city and its leaves and its fruit are for the healing of the nations. In Genesis, we read about that death came and there was sorrow and suffering. But in Revelation, we read that there's a kingdom where there is no sorrow, where there's no more crying, where there's no more mourning, where there's no more death, pain, and the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on his throne says, behold, I make all things new. In Genesis, man lost his inheritance and everything that related to God, but in Revelation, man's going to receive it in full, delivered back to him by the, by the true power of the resurrected Christ. You got to see what's going on in this world. There is a great revival happening in this world. I got. I got to finish. I have no idea. Pastor Gore put, took my, took my timer away from me. We've helped sponsor this year Bibles into Iran. Yeah, the only thing going on in Iran is not a nuclear weapon. By the way, do you know there's a great revival in Iran? Did you know that the entire Bible has now been translated into the Farsi language and they can't get them into the country fast enough because people are coming to faith in Christ? And here's one for you. Don't tell too many people in America, but even the women are beginning to lead in the churches. That's a real revival, isn't it? In a land where if they're open about it, they'll lose their life. The Iranian Revolution happened in 1979. Since 1979, more people in that country have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, baptized in water. I just saw Elam's magazine a few months ago, 250 of them at one time baptized in a public swimming pool because they're not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the power of God and the salvation in a place. Hold on, I'm not done yet. Hold, hold up, hold it, hold it. 
Since 1979, more people in Iran have come to Christ than in the combined 1,300 years before that. I've got a friend of mine who's a missionary. I won't, I won't share his name with you because where he goes to some real hot spots in the world, in the Muslim world. He said to me just a few weeks ago as we were eating together, he said to me, when I tell you that Jesus himself is evangelizing in the Muslim world, you need to believe it. And he's there. This is not a made-up story. This isn't to hook your emotions. I wouldn't do that for anything. He said, I've gathered, I've gathered no fewer than 100 stories of men and women alike in the Muslim world who have no idea who Jesus is. They just think he's some prophet. They just think he, that's all they've been taught. When they wake up in the middle of the night, a man dressed in white with a long beard and hair, kind of the caricature that we see of Jesus. I, I don't know what Jesus looks like. I know he was a Jew. And I know that the Bible says that there wasn't anything handsome about him. He didn't have any gravitas. Uh, gravitas, he, he wasn't dynamic in that way. The power of the Lord was on him, though. I think Jesus was so normal, people would, you'd, you'd just walk right by him. But when they wake up, they realize, they realize automatically who he is. Isn't that something? God has enough power to reveal himself to people and nobody has to explain him. All the way to waking them up and telling them to travel to a village next door, knock on apartment 4A, the man who opens the door will tell you all about me. Hundreds of stories, hundreds of stories. I listened to Lamar Vest a few months ago as he told the Times Square Church that when he was the president of the American Bible Society, that they went in the Jesus film that's been translated into all of these cultures. He's in a Muslim world and they're showing the Jesus film and people by the hundreds. I heard it with my own ears. I listened to Dr. Vest tell the story as people began to stand and say, that's him. That's the man. Now, not that they captured Jesus in the film, don't you see? The miracle was that no matter what the man on the film looked like, he matched their story. And they, that's him. That's Jesus. And people, listen, in the Muslim world today, there's not just beheadings going on. It isn't just ISIS there. God's working in the hearts of men and women. They're taking Bibles by the thousands, the multiplied thousands. They're reaching people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is doing a great thing there. How about Mexico? All we hear about Mexico is they're stealing jobs and the border's a mess and drug cartels and all of that. I said at lunch the other day with Chris Trueworthy, one of my new best friends. Chris and his wife live an hour south of Mexico City. If he gets in his car and drives to the American border at Texas to cross over at Laredo, it takes him 15 hours to get there. He doesn't have his foot in Mexico. He's firmly planted there. He tells me what God is doing in those colonias around Mexico and how God is moving in Mexico City and how God is sweeping the nation and they're, they're, they're strengthening churches and helping pastors know how to train Sunday school teachers and, and, and people to help them in the ministry and music and all of that. That's what their ministry does. It is amazing when you listen and you hear and all we hear are the border problems and all we hear are those issues and that is an issue for us. I, I mean, as, a, as, a, as, as somebody who lives in America, those are issues, that's it. But there's something greater than that that's going on. God is moving in this world. God himself is working and moving and we need to see God at work. We need to see him at work in this world. I'll close. You know, sometimes we, we look at what's going on in this world and we think, you know, it's just, it's the end. It's tragic. All these things are happening. I'll tell you what God needs. I'm going to tell you what Pulaski County needs. Now listen to me. I may not ever come back. Pulaski County needs, now listen to me, I don't earn a thing from this. I get nothing for this. 
I'm just going to talk to you like a little boy who grew up here that moved away. Pulaski County needs this church. There are other churches, great churches, wonderful pastors. Some of them I know you know, great, great pastors. I don't know what they're doing, but I know what you have the possibility to do. And God isn't finished. He wants to do something new in you and through you and for you, not just personally, for you as a church. I want you to receive it from the Lord today. And I know, I know, I know it gets bleak. I, I know the world and we get so caught up in things. I, I know that. But when you look at the back of this book and you realize that in Revelation, John is taken from a Triumphant vision to a tragic vision to a triumphant vision to a tragic vision. Triumphant vision to a tragic vision. I mean, he sees the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He sees God on his throne. And then he sees the trumpet judgments and the bold judgments. And he sees the world rocking and reeling under the judgment of God. And just when he couldn't take it much more, that angel who was showing him around the throne of God, John said, I can't see it. I can't look anymore. The angel said, I need you to look one more time. Look one more time. Perspective. Look one more time. And John said, when I looked, behold, there stood a lamb on Mount Zion. Listen, the Lord is for you and not against you. The Lord wants to bless you and prosper you and keep you. The Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. Open your heart today, and let God do something new. Would you stand to your feet with me today? You bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray a prayer for you today, and then I'm going to let whomever's next come. just bow your heads with me. First of all, if you're in this room today and you'd say, Pastor Chad, my greatest need, I assume, I assume nothing from you. You'd say, Pastor Chad, my greatest need today is to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to ask Him into my heart today and I want to be saved. If that's you, if that's your new place to start today, if that's you, would, while nobody's looking, would you just slip up your hand? I'll pray with you. Thank you. I see your hand. Just hold it up high so I can see it. 